Open your Bibles this morning to Luke 23, which is where we're going to be for the next three Sundays in this one chapter, just Luke 23. We're going to take about one-third of it, three parts of it. Each week we're going to take one section as we work through this, work our way up toward Easter. It's on page 883 in the Blue Bible in front of you. This is about the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. Why talk about these things? We know what happens. Jesus is arrested. He's tried in a mock trial, and then they crucify him. Why talk about these things? We know what happened. Well, the cliche answer is, well, if you don't study history, you're going to repeat the mistakes of history. Well, there's some truth to that. But honestly, this is not an event that's going to be repeated. This is the death of the sinless Son of God who entered the world to die for our sins. This ain't happening again. We just studied that in Hebrews. It doesn't need to happen again. Jesus died once for all, the finished work of Christ. So why talk about these things? Well, even though these things will not be repeated, there is a battle going on. The battle between good and evil, light versus darkness, God versus Satan. And we see that in Luke 23, and each week we're going to see how this battle is played out. Well, that battle is also played out in our daily lives. Anybody want to speak to the battle between light and darkness, good and evil, that you struggle with in your life? That's why this is such an important series for us to think about. Because we struggle with these very issues in our own life today. Well, what has happened up to this point in the story? In verse 1, we're going to pick up at a certain point in the story. Before verse 1, though, Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested in the garden. They've taken him to the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin, and they have found him guilty of blasphemy. That's where we begin in verse 1, Luke 23. You follow along as I read out loud. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man guilty of misleading the nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, crowds, I find no fault in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, Pilate sent Jesus over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see Jesus because he'd heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by Jesus. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing Jesus. And Herod 
with his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying Jesus in splendid clothing, Herod sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that Jesus should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Let's just walk through the story that we just read so we can get the highlights. We can see what was going on. The Jewish court, the Sanhedrin, had found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. But the the ruling power of that day was Rome, and Rome reserved for itself the right of capital punishment. Rome allowed a lot of freedom for you to do what you wanted in your own country, but they said, listen, we control capital punishment. You cannot kill somebody, you cannot execute someone without permission from Rome. So in verse 1, when they go to Pilate, that's why they go to Pilate. The Jewish court has found Jesus guilty of blasphemy, which according to the Old Testament was a capital crime. But they didn't have the power to execute Jesus, so they go to Pilate to get that permission. Now understand, this was a decision in search of permission. They've already decided that Jesus has to die. In chapter 22, verse 2, the chief priests, the the leaders of the people, sought a reason or a way to get Jesus killed. They'd already made up their mind, this guy's got to go. Now we just have to make it happen. They wanted Jesus dead, so what are we going to do? They disagreed with Jesus and Jesus' teaching, but Pilate could not care less about that. That's a Jewish problem, and the Romans didn't care about your religion. We don't even believe your religion. Okay? This is an internal problem, and we're not going to get involved. Blasphemy? Who cares? So the leaders of the Jews had to come up with a reason why Pilate would want Jesus to be killed. So they began to frame the argument 
that Jesus was a threat to Rome. And they did this two ways. Number one, they said that Jesus forbid the paying of taxes to Rome. Now, if you remember, in Luke 20, Jesus was specifically asked as a setup question because they wanted to accuse him to the Romans. They said, should we pay taxes? Jesus was in a bind, they thought. Remember? Because if he says pay taxes to the Romans, then the Jews would see him as a traitor. Nobody should want to pay taxes to a foreign government. But if Jesus says don't pay taxes to Rome, they would run and tell the Romans, hey, he doesn't want to pay taxes. So they're over in the corner and you just see him grinning with glee. We got him now. We got him. There's no way he can answer this thing without getting in trouble. And Jesus said, show me a coin. They showed him a coin with with Caesar's image on it. He says, hey, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. And they're like, ugh, that's not what we wanted. They thought they had him, but they didn't. But when they go before Pilate, they say, oh, yeah, he says we shouldn't pay taxes, which was... Liar, liar, pants on fire kind of stuff. Okay? This was not, this was just absolutely not something that they, they made up that they didn't know. They knew full well that that's not what Jesus taught. It's not like, well, I bet if we were to ask him, this is what he, no, they already did ask him. And so we already see them at the beginning. This is no holds barred. This is the kind of fight, we'll do anything, even if they have to lie. The second argument why Jesus needed to be executed was because he says he's a king. All four Gospels record this part of the dialogue. All four Gospels record that Jesus was directly asked, are you a king? And he said, you said it. The Jewish leaders wanted to portray Jesus as a political threat to Rome, that he was setting himself up to be king and he was going to lead a rebellion. Now this charge, oh, this one gets Pilate's attention. How do we know? Because all four Gospels have him looking at Jesus. Are you a king? Is this true? He wants to know whether this charge against Jesus has any merit. This actually is the charge that sticks against Jesus. Because when he is crucified, what did they hang on the plaque above him? He claimed to be the king of the Jews. Actually, he said, they put, uh, he is the king of the Jews. And the, the leader said, no, let's just say he claimed it. But that was the charge that stuck, that got Jesus killed. Interestingly, in the story that we just read, three different times, Pilate comes back and says, he's not guilty of anything. He's not done anything that deserves to be executed. Three times. Let's see how good your math is this morning. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? And it seems like there's a a, a great symmetry here between Peter denying Christ three times, and he's a follower of Jesus. And then you have this Roman, this guy who doesn't even believe in Jesus, defending Jesus three times and saying he's innocent. But then Pilate hears that Jesus is from the region of Galilee up north. 
And he thinks, oh, good. Because there was a governor up in Galilee, Herod, who was a Jew. Pilate is a Roman, but Herod was a Jew. And he says, you know what? This is Herod's problem. Let Herod deal with him. Herod happened to be in town for the Passover. And so he sends, Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod and says, you take care of it. And at that point, Pilate thinks, I am off the hook. His intent was obvious. Let Herod deal with him. If Herod lets him go, then the people can be mad at Herod. If Herod decides to kill him, all of Jesus' followers won't be mad at me. They'll be mad at Herod. Perfect out. Dump this political hot potato on Herod and let him do what he wants with Jesus. Either way, I'm out of the mix. Herod, unfortunately, for Pilate, interrogates Jesus and sends him back. Great. Here I thought I was done with this guy. And Herod checked him out and didn't make a decision and bounced him right back to Pilate. Why? For the very same reason. Neither man wanted to be held responsible for killing Jesus. Then something interesting happens. Look at verse 18 of Luke 23. The people say, away with this man. They all cried out together, away with this man. You see, up to this point, the people have been trying to frame Jesus. He's been set up. We know it's not true. But at least they've been trying to follow some legal framework. Trying to bring charges against Jesus and have him convicted of those charges. That didn't work. Pilate found him innocent, Herod found him innocent, and what they finally said was, get rid of him anyway. Now we have the mask torn off. This is not about justice, this is not about the law, this is not about blasphemy and and upholding God's righteous standard. This is simply the people having a hissy fit. We wanted to do it the right way. That didn't work, so let's just get him killed. Away with him. Now it becomes a matter of just shouting Pilate down. There's no effort to rationalize what they're doing. It's just them screaming, we want him dead. Crucify him. And then they turn around and they said, we would rather that you release Barabbas who was a man who had led an insurrection, who had committed murder. Do you see the irony here? we got to get rid of this Jesus because he's a political problem for Rome and we don't want to have that. He's disturbing the people. Oh, by the way, let this other guy who's led an insurrection, let him go. This is clearly where they reveal their false motives more than anything else. They would rather have a murderer released than for Jesus to go free. They would rather have somebody that is guilty let go and somebody who is innocent executed. Pilate, though, sees no reason why Jesus should be killed. Now, understand, this is an opinion of an outsider. 
Pilate doesn't have a dog in this fight. He doesn't care. And yet he keeps coming back and saying, he's not done anything wrong. You understand, the Romans did not care about the Jews. They killed Jews regularly. What's one more? That Pilate didn't just say, kill him, I don't care. Speaks to Jesus and who he was. Because Pilate, someone who didn't care about the Jews, said this is not right. Jesus lived such a pure life that when they were gunning for him, they couldn't find anything. Now, how many of us could say, that wouldn't happen with me, right? Somebody was looking to get us in trouble, it'd take them, what, all of about 15 minutes? Not to come up with false charges, to come up with some true stuff on us, because the dirt's on us. But Jesus lived such a pure, sinless life that they had nothing on him. They had to make up stuff about him. Fearing a riot at this point. Logic didn't work. Now it's just a matter of them demanding their way and keep getting more vociferous. Louder and louder, just crucify him, crucify him. Finally, Pilate says, the only way I'm going to make this thing go away is give him what they want. And so he turns Jesus over to them. What's going on here? As we look at this story, what's going on? Well, number one, pure and simple, it's politics. Verse 23 said, their voices prevailed. They didn't convince Pilate that they were right. They convinced Pilate that they were loud. And they said, we're not going away. And Pilate was afraid that their, this problem would get back to Rome and he'd lose his job. Because Rome had put him there to keep the peace. And if he can't do that, then we'll replace you and put somebody else in here who can keep the peace. And so they played the political card. And so Pilate gives in for one reason. Fear of the people. The people there intimidated him. He was afraid that he'd lose his job. At election time, you need to be reminded of that. Every time a politician comes around and starts promising you all the stuff that they're going to do for you, you know why they do it? Because they don't want to lose their job. Right? What well, doesn't matter what they say in October leading up to the November election. Look at what they're doing in January after they're elected. Are you with me? Politics is all about who's loudest, who's yelling the most. All right? So he finally just gives in. Pilate does something before that as one, I believe, last-ditch effort to get Jesus saved. He said, this man is not guilty. Did you see this? Several times he said, this man is not guilty, but I'll have him punished anyway. What? You just said he's not guilty. Why are you going to punish him? What is going to be the crime that you're going to punish him for? Why would you do that? If he's innocent as you say, Pilate, then just let him go. And Pilate said, hey, I'll punish him, then I'll let him go. What Pilate was probably thinking, the beating that Jesus got was so horrible where they wouldn't just whip you, they would rip the skin off your back. Pilate was probably hoping that their bloodthirst would be satisfied. The, the beating was so horrible that you often died just from that. Pilate was probably thinking, you know what, I'll do this, and maybe that will spare his life. 
Maybe that will satisfy them at that point. But the plan didn't work. They would settle for nothing less than Jesus being executed outright. Pilate was willing to help Jesus, but only so far. You know what we call that? We call that politics. He's not willing to do what's right. He's only going to do what is politically expedient for him. The second thing we see going on in this story is jealousy. Jealousy over what? The religious leaders had a problem with Jesus. Not because he'd done anything wrong, but because they started watching their numbers decline as Jesus' numbers were going up. We can't have this. For the same reason, because Rome allowed one official religion. And if Jesus started having more followers than the official religion that Rome recognized, then Rome would say, well, hey, let's make his religion the one that's official. And they would lose their power. And so they said, we've got to get rid of this guy so we can keep our position, which is political jealousy. And at the root of that is the problem we talked about last week, remember? Power. The problem of power in our relationships and wanting to control things. Problem, power is a problem for us in our lives. We don't often want to admit that, but we are power-hungry people. We like things the way we want them to be. Finally, the other thing we see in this story is pure and simple evil. Yes, there's jealousy, there's power issues, there's all this, but you know what? At the heart of that, as you keep peeling this onion down lower, you finally get down to the level it is just evil. There's no way to slice this thing and come up with any other decision. Because they knew that Jesus had not done what they had accused him of. They knew that. At one point, it's comical. They want this innocent guy killed. But the law says you have to have at least two witnesses that agree. And they kept getting people to stand up and accuse Jesus, but they couldn't get that second witness to corroborate the first one. And again, this is not going the way we want. So they actually had to bribe people to falsely accuse Jesus to get their testimony to line up. Because you know what? The law says you've got to have two witnesses and we wouldn't want to break the law when we kill an innocent man. Did you catch that? God's law says we have to have two witnesses, but God's law says says you shouldn't murder an innocent man. Well, that one doesn't count. That doesn't matter. But if we're going to do it, let's do it right. You know what we call that? Evil. When you try to do the wrong thing in the right way. When you try to do something that you know is wrong. And when you have to dig in your pocket for money to get somebody to lie for you, you're not, oh, I I don't know how that happened. Yeah, you did. You bribed somebody to lie so you could kill an innocent man. And that's evil. Win at any cost. Say whatever you have to say to get what you want. They even went into to Rome to Pilate. Oh, Pilate, he's been telling us that we shouldn't pay our taxes and you know how much we want to pay our taxes to Rome. Whatever. 
They would suck up to the enemy if that would help them in their cause of getting rid of Jesus. We'll even go to the point of freeing a guilty man so we can get an innocent man killed. Peter in his sermon in Acts chapter 2 talks about this. He said, you guys freed a murderer so that you could kill the author of life. You freed somebody who takes life and you killed the one who gives life. You know why? Because that's what evil does. There are several things though that we learn from this story once we've peeled it down to what's going on. Pay attention. There are some lessons that we learn. First, in Herod, we didn't talk about this much, but Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod, and Herod begins to make fun of Jesus. They begin to mock him. Remember, they put on the robe. They put on the the crown of thorns. It's all about making fun of Jesus. But Luke tells us that Herod wanted to see a sign. He'd heard about the miracles of Jesus, and he wanted to see it for himself. And so part of the story, you know how this played out. Okay, Jesus, show me your stuff. Let's see it. Okay? Pull out one of your little parlor tricks here. Let me, let me see what you can do. Well, Jesus was not about that. Jesus was not about the show. And so he didn't play along with that. And so Herod would have taken Jesus not buying into that and doing a miracle as a sign that Jesus couldn't really do it. Oh, look at the miracle worker who can't do anything, right? And they began to mock him. They began to make fun of him at that point. What we see in Herod is that he thinks Jesus is a joke. And he doesn't take Jesus seriously. And yet, how many people today don't take Jesus seriously? Oh, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about people out there. I'm talking about people in here. How many of us don't take Jesus seriously? Yeah, yeah, I get it. We talk a good game about taking Jesus seriously. We say we believe in Jesus. But when it comes time to actually following Jesus, how many of us are not taking him seriously? If we were taking Jesus seriously, we wouldn't be living the way we're living in too many situations. Second, in this story, we actually see a miniature version of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is how people like us, guilty people like us, can go free. Because Jesus paid for our penalty. Why do we say that this is a miniature gospel? Because we see this played out with Barabbas. Barabbas is a guilty guy who goes free. Because an innocent man was killed. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we believe, isn't it, folks? That we go free. We are guilty. And we go free because Jesus paid the price for us. Third, look at Jesus' composure in this story. Verse 9 says that Jesus was questioned at some length, but he made no answer. Now understand, 
not only do we know that the charges that were brought against Jesus were made up, Jesus knew it too. All the stuff that they were accusing him of, right? I believe, and I'm, I, I, it's going to sound funny, but I'm being very serious here. Every part of Jesus' being would have wanted to cry out, did not! Right? The other sides are, did too? Did, did not? Have you ever gotten into those debates with people? Arguing about, I didn't do that. Every part of Jesus would have wanted to cry out, liar, liar! You're making that up. Jesus just sat there quietly. That is amazing. When we're accused of doing what we did, did not. You ate a cookie. The cookie crumbs are on our fate. No, I didn't. You can't prove that. Even when we're guilty, we won't sit quietly. Jesus was innocent. And he didn't say a word. And the people on the other side are getting angrier and angrier. Could you have remained silent if you were being falsely accused? If you knew they weren't going to give you a traffic ticket, they were going to kill you, could you sit there quietly? I don't know if I could. Jesus does two things right here. First, He stays true to who He is. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't begin to respond to them the way they're responding to Him. He doesn't sink to their level, in other words. They're lying about Him, but Jesus doesn't start lying about them. They're getting angrier and angrier, and yet Jesus remains calm. How many times in our lives are we guilty of getting our cues from the people on the other side? And we react to how they're acting. Well, they did it. We feel justified in doing wrong because they did wrong first. Or they did wrong worse. Jesus remains true to who He is even though He's right in the midst of all this evil. And it's amazing His composure here. But look at the contrast between what they're doing and and what Jesus is doing, what they're trying to do and what Jesus is trying to do. They're losing their cool more and more and more. As it's not working... Their lies, all of that says it's not working. Then they just get to shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. But Jesus, we just see at this moment, just confidently floating along. I believe, because of my experience, and you've been there too, I think that's what ticked him off even more, don't you? Had Jesus started responding and going back and forth with them, but it was just burning them up, he wouldn't say a word. Jesus is just confidently floating along. He's not trying to control the situation because he doesn't need to. Now let's take that 
and just put a finer point on it. We deal with a lot of unfairness in our life. I don't know about you, but unfairness bugs me. It's not fair. Look at this story. Have you ever seen a story of something unfair like this? If ever there was an unfairness, this is it. And yet Jesus just calmly going along. Let me remind you of something. Life is not fair. It's not. And nowhere did God promise us that life would be fair. We get into trouble when we focus on the unfairness in life as if it's not supposed to be that way. And I need to do something to make it fair. We feel justified in taking matters in our own hands because some unfairness is taking place. The question today, though, is, which one best represents you, light or darkness? I'm not asking you which one you want to be. I'm not asking you which one you should be. I'm asking you which one best represents you, light or darkness. You see, we're in a battle today. The battle between good and evil, light and darkness, God versus Satan. In this battle, whose side are you on? But when we start using the weapons of this world, we're not on God's side anymore. Did you hear me? When we start responding in kind to the unfairness in the way people are treating us, we're not fighting for God anymore. We're fighting for selfishness. We're fighting for ourselves. How many of us talk a good game about trusting God until life throws us a curve? How many of us are good about trusting God as long as there's nothing on the table for us to be worried about? We're good at trusting God when everything's going well. When the water is smooth and the weather is good, we don't have a problem trusting God. But what good is faith if it only works in clear weather? Let me repeat that. What good is faith if it only works in clear weather? That's when our efforts to begin manipulating the situation kick in. When they decided that they had to get rid of Jesus, then their minds started, well, what do we got to do to get rid of him? Then it became just a matter of, well, we'll just do whatever we got to do. If we got to lie, if we got to cheat, if we got to manipulate, if we got to put political pressure, whatever it takes, we're going to get this done. How many of us, when we're in a crunch situation, that's what we do? Well, preacher, I know this job is an under-the-table job. It pays cash. But God knows I need a job. Did you hear me? 
Well, that's getting ugly, isn't it? Right? It's one thing to believe in being honest. It's another thing. Well, you got to do what you got to do. That's what they were doing in this story. They were just doing what they got to do to get Jesus rid of, get him out of the picture. But manipulation is our denial of our trust in God. We can't trust that God is doing what He wants, that God's got a greater purpose in mind, even as we're trying to manipulate the situation to get what we want. Now understand, this is important. Oftentimes, our motives may be pure. At least somewhat pure. Go back to my example of getting a job. In a, I gotta, gotta feed the kids. Gotta put food on the table. Gotta keep a roof over our head. Our motives may be pure. But that doesn't justify taking matters in our own hands and trying to solve the problem in our own way. Pure motives don't justify wrong behavior. Now, what tools are you using to get people to do what you want? Look in your bag of tricks, your bag of tools. What tools of manipulation do you use? How many of us believe in being honest until our back's against the wall and then we'll lie? Because, well, I needed to. What about threats? Do what I want or I'm leaving. That's manipulation. I can't trust God to do it, so I've got to take matters in my own hand and do it. So we'll use lies. We'll use threats. How about pouting? If I don't get what I want, then I'm going to be mad. And I'm going to be mad until you give me what I want. You know what we call that? We call that manipulation. You might have good reasons for doing it in your mind. It may be for something that you think is good. But you're trying to get somebody to do something that they don't want to do. Rather than trusting God. And Jesus is such a wonderful example here. Because he says, I don't need to manipulate. I don't need to twist things around. I'm just going to comfortably trust God. See if you remember these words. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Great song to sing, isn't it? We love that. Got a nice catchy beat to it. It's not a song. It's to be our way of life. It's not enough to say we believe in God. What matters is when the bottom falls out and they want to kill you, you just sit there quietly and saying, I'm going to trust God. Now, give you a preview in case you didn't know this. It gets worse. They don't just convict him and, and 
get permission to crucify Him. They do crucify Him. Jesus was not just confidently, nope, I believe God's going to get me out of this. It's going to be okay. Jesus is confidently going along, not believing that God's going to get him out of the crucifixion, knowing full well God's going to allow him to be crucified. And they drive nails in his hands, they drive nails in his feet, and as he's hanging on the cross, he says, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. It wasn't a song that he sang. This was Jesus' life. Trusting God and not trying to manipulate the situation to get what he wanted.